Volume Two, Chapter Two of Vixen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jane Shanley. Vixen by Mary Elizabeth Braden. Volume Two, Chapter Two. Wedding Garments. After that night, Vixen held her peace. There were no more bitter words between Mrs. Tempest and her daughter, but the mother knew that there was a wellspring of bitterness, a Mara whose waters were inexhaustible, in her daughter's heart, and that domestic happiness under one roof was henceforth impossible for these two. There were very few words of any kind between Violet and Mrs. Tempest at this time, the girl kept herself as much as possible apart from her mother. The widow lived her languid drawing-room life, dawdling away long, slow days that left no more impression behind than the drift of rose-leaves across the velvet lawn before her windows. A little point-lace, deftly worked by slim white fingers, flashing with gems, a little Tennyson, a little Owen Meredith, a little Browning, only half understood at best, a little scandal, a great deal of orange pekoe, sipped out of old Worcester teacups of royal blue or flowered Swansea, an hour's letter-writing on the last fashionable note-paper, elegantly worded inanity, delicately penned in a flowing Italian hand, with long loops to the y's and g's and a serpentine curve at the end of every word no life could well have been more useless or vapid even mrs tempest's charities those doles of wine and soup bread and clothing which are looked for naturally from the mistress of a fine old mansion were vicarious trimmer the housekeeper did everything indeed in the eyes of the surrounding poor mrs trimmer was mistress of the abbey house it was to her they looked for relief it was her reproof they feared and to her they lauded lowest the faded beauty reclining in her barouche wrapped in white raiment of softest china crepe and whirling past them in a cloud of dust was as remote as a goddess they could hardly have realized that she was fashioned out of the same clay that made themselves upon so smooth and eventless an existence captain winstanley's presence came like a gust of north wind across the sultry languor of an august noontide his energy his prompt resolute manner of thinking and acting upon all occasions impressed mrs tempest with an extraordinary sense of his strength of mind and manliness. It seemed to her that she must always be safe where he was. No danger, no difficulty could assail her while his strong arm was there to ward it off. She felt very much as Mary Stuart may have done about Bothwell, when, moved to scornful aversion by the silken boy profligate Darnley, her heart acknowledged its master in the dark freebooter who had slain him there had been no darnley in pamela tempest's life but this resolute clear-brained soldier was her bothwell 
she had the mary stuart temperament the love of compliments and fine dresses dainty needlework and luxurious living without the stuart craft in conrad winstanley she had found her master and she was content to be so mastered willing to lay down her little sum of power at his feet and lived henceforward like a tame falcon at the end of a string her position as a widow was an excellent one the squire's will had been dictated in fullest confidence in his wife's goodness and discretion and doubtless also with the soothing idea common to most hale and healthy men that it must be a long time before their testamentary arrangements can come into effect it was a holograph will and the squire's own composition throughout he would have no lawyer's finger in that pie he had said the disposal of his estate had cost him many hours of painful thought before he rang the bell for his bailiff and his butler and executed it in their presence mrs tempest was mistress of the abbey house for her life and at her death it was to become violet's property violet was not to come of age until she was twenty-five and in the meantime her mother was to be her sole guardian and absolute mistress of everything there was no question of an allowance for the maintenance of the heiress no question as to the accumulation of income everything was to belong to mrs tempest till violet came of age she had only to educate and maintain her daughter in whatever manner she might think fit at violet's majority the estate was to pass into her possession charged with an income of fifteen hundred a year to be paid to the widow for her lifetime until her twenty-fifth birthday therefore violet was in the position of a child entirely dependent on her mother's liberality and bound to obey her mother as her natural and only guardian there was no court of appeal nearer than the court of chancery there was no one to whom the two women could make their complaints or refer their differences naturally captain winstanley had long before this made himself acquainted with the particulars of the squire's will for six years he saw himself sole master of a very fine estate and at the end of six years reduced to an income which seemed comparatively a pittance and altogether inadequate for the maintenance of such a place as the abbey house still fifteen hundred a year and the abbey house were a long way on the right side of nothing and captain winstanley felt that he had fallen on his feet that was a dreary june for vixen she hugged her sorrow and lived in a mental solitude which was almost awful in so young a soul she made a confidant of no one not even of kind-hearted mrs scobel who was quite ready to pity her and condole with her and who was secretly indignant of the widow's folly the fact of mrs tempest's intended marriage had become known to all her friends and neighbors with the usual effect of such intelligence society said sweet things to her and praised captain winstanley and hoped the wedding would be soon 
and opined that it would be quite a nice thing for miss tempest to have such an agreeable stepfather with whom she could ride to hounds as she had done with the dear squire and the same society driving away from the abbey house in its landaus and pony carriages after half an hour's pleasant gossip and a cup of delicately flavoured tea called mrs tempest a fool and her intended husband an adventurer vixen kept aloof from all the gossip and tea-drinking she did not even go near her old friends the scobels in these days of smothered wrath and slow consuming indignation she deserted the schools her old pensioners even the little village children to whom she had loved to carry baskets of good things and pocketfuls of halfpence and whose queer country dialect had seemed as sweet to her as the carolling of finches and blackbirds in the woods everything in the way of charity was left to mrs trimmer now vixen took her long solitary rides in the forest roaming wherever there was a footway for her horse under the darkening beeches dangerously near the swampy ground where the wet grass shone in the sunlight the green reedy patches that meant peril into the calm unfathomable depths of mark ash or queen's bower up to the wild healthy crest of boulderwood wherever there was loneliness and beauty roderick had gone to london for the season and was riding with lady mabel in the row or dancing attendance at garden parties exhibitions and flower shows i wonder how he likes the dusty days in the crowded rooms the classical music and high art exhibitions thought vixen savagely i wonder how he likes being led about like a pomeranian terrier i don't think i could endure it if i were a man but i suppose when one is in love and then vixen thought of their last talk together and how little of the lover's enthusiasm there was in roderick's mention of his cousin in the bottom of my heart i know that he is going to marry her for the sake of her estate or because his mother wished it and urged it and he was too weak-minded to go on saying no i would not say it for the world or let any one else say it in my hearing but in my heart of hearts i know he does not love her and then after a thoughtful silence she cried to the mute unresponsive woods oh it is wicked abominable mad to marry without love the woods spoke to her of roderick vaudrey how often she had ridden by his side beneath these spreading beech boughs dipping her childish head just as she dipped it to-day under the low branches steering her pony carefully between the prickly holly bushes plunging deep into the hollows where the dry leaves crackled under his hoofs i fancied rory and i were to spend our lives together somehow she said to herself it seems very strange for us to be quite parted she saw mr vaudrey's name in the fashionable newspapers in the list of guests at dinners and drums london life suited him very well no doubt she heard that he was a member of the four-in-hand club 
and turned out in splendid style at Hyde Park Corner. There was no talk yet of his going into Parliament. That was an affair of the future. Since that evening on which Mrs. Tempest announced her intention of taking a second husband, Violet and Captain Winstanley had only met in the presence of other people. The captain had tried to infuse a certain fatherly familiarity into his manner, but Vixen had met every attempt at friendliness with a sullen disdain which kept even Captain Winstanley at arm's length. "'We shall understand each other better by and by,' he said to himself, galled by this coldness. It would be a pity to disturb these halcyon days by anything in the way of a scene. I shall know how to manage Miss Tempest. Afterwards, he spoke of her and to her always as Miss Tempest. He had never called her Violet since that night in the pavilion garden. These days before her wedding were indeed a halcyon season for Mrs. Tempest. She existed in an atmosphere of millinery and pretty speeches. Her attention was called away from a ribbon by the sweet distraction of a compliment, and oscillated between tender whispers and honiton lace. Conrad Winstanley was a delightful lover. His enemies would have said that he had done the same kind of thing so often that it would have been strange if he had not done it well. His was assuredly no prentice hand in the art. Poor Mrs. Tempest lived in a state of mild intoxication as dreamily delicious as the effects of opium. She was enchanted with her lover, and still better pleased with herself. At nine-and-thirty it was very sweet to find herself exercising so potent an influence over the captain's strong nature she could not help comparing herself to cleopatra and her lover to antony if he had not thrown away a world for her sake he was at least ready to abandon the busy career which a man loves and to devote his future existence to rural domesticity he confessed that he had been hardened by much contact with the world that he did not love now for the first time but he told his betrothed that her influence had awakened feelings which had never before been called into his life, that this love which he felt for her was to all intents and purposes a first love, the first pure and perfect affection that had subjugated and elevated his soul. After that night in Mrs. Tempest's boudoir, it was only by tacit avoidance of her mother that vixen showed the intensity of her disapproval if she could have done any good by reproof or entreaty by pleading or exhortation she would assuredly have spoken but she saw the captain and her mother together every day and she knew that opposed to his influence her words were like the idle wind which bloweth where it listeth so she held her peace and looked on with an aching, angry heart, and hated the intruder who had come to steal her dead father's place. To take her father's place, that in Violet's mind was the unpardonable wrong. 
that any man should enter that house as master and sit in the squire's seat and rule the squire's servants and ride the squire's horses was an outrage beyond endurance she might have looked more leniently on her mother's folly had the widow chosen a second husband with a house and home of his own who would have carried off his wife to reign over his own belongings and left the abbey house desolate a temple dedicated to the dead mrs tempest's manner towards her daughter during this period was at once conciliatory and reproachful she felt it a hard thing that violet should have taken up such an obnoxious position this complaint she repeated piteously with many variations when she discussed violet's unkindness with her lover she had no secrets from the captain and she told him all the bitter things violet had said about him he heard her with firmly set lips and an angry sparkle in his dark eyes but his tone was full of paternal indulgence presently when mrs tempest had poured out all her woes is it not hard upon me conrad she asked in conclusion my dear pamela i hope you are too strong-minded to distress yourself seriously about a wilful girl's foolishness your daughter has a noble nature but she has been spoiled by too much indulgence even a racehorse the noblest thing in creation has to be broken in not always without severe punishment miss tempest and i will come to understand each other perfectly by and by i know you will be a second father to her said mrs tempest tearfully i will do my duty to her dearest be assured still mrs tempest went on harping upon the cruelty of her daughter's conduct the consciousness of violet's displeasure weighed heavily upon her i dare not even show her my trousseau she complained all confidence is at an end between us i should like to have had her opinion about my dresses though she is sadly deficient in taste poor child and has never even learnt to put on her gloves perfectly and your own taste is faultless love replied the captain soothingly what can you want with advice from an inexperienced girl whose mind is in the stable it is not her advice i want conrad but her sympathy fanny scobel is coming this afternoon i can show her my things i really feel quite nervous about talking to violet of her own dress she must have a new dress for the wedding you know though she cannot be a bridesmaid i think that is really unfair don't you conrad what is unfair dearest asked the captain whose mind had scarcely followed the harmless meanderings of his lady's speech that a widow is not allowed to have bridesmaids or orange blossoms it seems like taking the poetry out of a wedding does it not not to my mind pamela the poetry of wedlock does not lie in these details a sugared cake and satin favors a string of carriages and a brussels veil the true poetry of marriage is in the devotion and fidelity of the two hearts it binds together 
Mrs. Tempest sighed gently, and was almost resigned to be married without bridesmaids or orange blossoms. It was now within a month of the wedding, which was to be solemnized on the last day of August, a convenient season for a honeymoon tour in Scotland. Mrs. Tempest liked to travel when other people traveled. Mountain and flood would have had scarcely any charm for her out of the season. The time had come when Violet's dress must be talked about, as Mrs. Tempest told the vicar's wife solemnly. She had confided the secret of her daughter's unkindness to Mrs. Scoble in the friendly hour of afternoon tea. It is very hard upon me, she repeated, very hard, that the only drawback to my happiness should come from my own child. Violet was so fond of her father, said Mrs. Scoble excusingly. But is that any reason she should treat me unkindly? Who could have been fonder of dear Edward than I was? I studied his happiness in everything. There never was an unkind word between us. I do not think any one could expect me to go down to my grave a widow in order to prove my affection for my dearest Edward. That was proved by every act of my married life. I have nothing to regret, nothing to atone for. I feel myself free to reward Captain Winstanley's devotion. He has followed me from place to place for the last two years and has remained constant in spite of every rebuff. He proposed to me three times before I accepted him. Mrs. Scoble had been favored with the history of these three separate offers more than once. I know, dear Mrs. Tempest, she said somewhat hurriedly, lest her friend should recapitulate the details. He certainly seems very devoted. But, of course, from a worldly point of view, you are an excellent match for him. Do you think I would marry him if I thought that consideration had any weight with him? demanded Mrs. Tempest indignantly. And Mrs. Scoble could say no more. There are cases of physical blindness past the skill of surgery, but there is no blindness more incurable than that of a woman on the verge of forty who fancies herself beloved. But Violet's dress for the wedding, said Mrs. Scoble, anxious to get the conversation upon safer ground. Have you really said nothing to her about it? No. She is so headstrong and self-willed. I have been absolutely afraid to speak. But it must be settled immediately. Theodore is always so busy. It will be quite a favor to get the dress made at so short a notice, I dare say. Why not speak to Violet this afternoon? While you are here? Yes, I might do that, replied Mrs. Tempest eagerly. She felt she could approach the subject more comfortably in Mrs. Scoble's presence. There would be a kind of protection in a third person. She rang the bell. Has Miss Tempest come home from her ride? Yes, ma'am. She has just come in. Send her to me at once, then. Ask her not to stop to change her dress. Mrs. Tempest and Mrs. Scoble were in the drawing-room, 
sitting at a gypsy table before an open window the widow wrapped in a china crepe shawl lest even the summer breeze should be too chill for her delicate frame the worcester cups and saucers an antique silver teapot and caddy and kettle set out before her like a child's toys violet came running in flushed after her ride her habit muddy bogged again cried mrs tempest with ineffable disgust that horse will be the death of you some day i think not mamma how do you do mrs scobel violet said the vicar's wife gravely why do you never come to our weekday services now i i, I don't know i have not felt in the humour for coming to church it's no use to come and kneel in a holy place with rebellious thoughts in my heart i come on sundays for decency's sake but i think it is better to keep away from the weekday services till i am in a better temper i don't think that's quite the way to recover your temper dear violet was silent and there was a rather awkward pause will you have a cup of tea dear asked mrs tempest no thanks mamma i think unless you have something very particular to say to me i had better take my muddy habit off your carpet i feel rather warm and dusty i shall be glad to change my dress but i have something very particular to say violet i won't detain you long you'd better have a cup of tea just as you please mamma and forgetful of her clay bespattered habit violet sank into one of the satin-covered chairs and made a wreck of an antimacassar worked in crewels by mrs tempest's own hands i am going to write to madame theodore by this evening's post violet said her mother handing her a cup of tea and making believe not to see the destruction of that exquisite antimacassar and i should like to order your dress for the wedding i have been thinking that cream colour and pale blue would suit you to perfection a cream-coloured hat the van dyke shape with a long blue ostrich please don't take any trouble about it mamma said vixen whose cheek had paled at the word wedding and who now sat very erect in her chair holding her cup and saucer firmly i am not going to be present at your wedding so i shall not want a dress violet cried mrs tempest beginning to tremble you cannot mean what you say you have been very unkind very undutiful you have made me perfectly miserable for the last seven weeks but i cannot believe that you would grossly insult me by refusing to be present at my wedding i do not wish to insult you mamma i am very sorry if i have pained you but i cannot and will not be present at a marriage the very idea of which is hateful to me if my presence could give any sanction to this madness of yours that sanction shall not be given violet have you thought what you are doing have you considered what will be said by the world i think the world our world must have made up its mind about your second marriage already mamma vixen answered quietly 
my absence from your wedding can make very little difference it will make a very great difference and you know it cried mrs tempest roused as to much passion as she was capable of feeling people will say that my daughter sets her face against my marriage my daughter who ought to sympathize with me and rejoice that i have found a true friend and protector i cannot either sympathize or rejoice mamma it is much better that i should stop away from your wedding i should look miserable and make other people uncomfortable your absence will humiliate and lower me in the sight of my friends it will be a disgrace and yet you take this course on purpose to wound and injure me you are a wicked undutiful daughter oh mamma cried vixen with grave voice and reproachful eyes eyes before whose steady gaze the tearful widow drooped and trembled is duty so one-sided do i owe all to you and you nothing to me my father left us together mother and daughter to be all the world to each other he left us mistresses of the dear old home we had shared with him do you think he meant a stranger to come and sit in his place to be master over all he loved do you think it ever entered his mind that in three little years his place would be filled by the first comer his daughter asked to call another man father the first comer whimpered mrs tempest oh this is too cruel violet exclaimed mrs scobel reprovingly when you are calmer you will be sorry for having spoken so unkindly to your dear mamma i shall not be sorry for having spoken the truth said violet mamma has heard the truth too seldom in her life she will not hear it from captain winstanley yet a while and after flinging this last poison dart vixen took up the muddy skirt of her habit and left the room it was rather a pity that arion and i did not go to the bottom of that bog and stay there she reflected i don't think anybody wants us above ground did you ever know anything so humiliating so shameful so undutiful demanded mrs tempest piteously as the door closed on her rebellious daughter what will people say if violet is not at my wedding it would be awkward certainly unless there was some good reason for her absence people are so ill-natured nobody would believe in any excuse that was made that cruel girl will disgrace me she seems strongly prejudiced against captain winstanley it is a great pity but i dare say she will relent in time if i were you dear mrs tempest i should order the dress would you really fanny yes i should order the dress and trust in providence for the result you may be able to bring her round somehow between now and the wedding but i am not going to humiliate myself i am not going to be trampled on by my daughter of course not but you must have her at your wedding if i were to tell captain winstanley what she has said this afternoon he would be very angry no doubt 
but I would not tell him if I were you. No, I shall not say anything about it. Yet, before night, Captain Winstanley had heard every syllable that Vixen had said, with some trifling and unconscious exaggerations, hardly to be avoided by a woman of Mrs. Tempest's character, in the narration of her own wrongs. End of Volume 2 Chapter 2 Recording by Jane Shanley, Bill Mass.